Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, What on Earth podcast listeners, Laura here. By now, you've heard we've got an election on our hands. And here to discuss what you can expect from the major parties on climate change are two guests. Joining us from Vancouver is Catherine Harrison. She's a professor of political science at UBC, specializing in environmental and energy policy. Angela Carter is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo, and we've reached her in Conception Bay, Newfoundland. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi. Okay, let's start here. How big an issue for voters do you expect climate change to be during this election? Catherine Harrison, we'll start with you. Well, polling that's been done in the last month or so has found that it's one of the top three top-of-mind issues for voters. And much of that polling was done um, before the, the heat dome in Western Canada, before we had forest fires across the West and air quality alerts, and before the IPCC's report declaring code red for humanity. So I think it will be a, t- um, a prominent issue, and I hope it will be because there's so much at stake. Angela Carter, what's your take? I, I agree for, for sure. And I think what's happening now is that the climate crisis has become really personal for people who live in, in Canada. It used to be that, you know, we thought about climate change as something that happened to other people or something that would happen coming into the future. But I think now people in Canada have connected rising temperatures to record-breaking heat and then, you know, fires that are worse than ever and storm surges melting in the north. If you know, we look at the poor air quality warnings, I, th- I think Dr. Harrison is experiencing that right now. Um, you know, these, these have been happening right across the country, um, right to Nova Scotia at least, just in the last month or so. So, yeah, I, I think that the crisis is now personal and people have connected the dots. So I can imagine that we'll see an uptick in that interest in this particular issue going into that election. Okay, Catherine, it, it's been less than two years since the last federal election. What have you seen since then from the Liberals on climate? Well, the Liberals have, they've now got a six-year record of governing, and they, so they've been able to tie up a bunch of the things that were started um, in their previous term. Um, I think in the last two, they introduced a new federal climate plan in December 2020 that, um, you know, concretably achieved a 30% reduction below 2005 by 2030, largely relying on increasing the carbon price, a strategy that was upheld by the Supreme Court earlier this year. Um, The Liberals passed net zero carbon budget legislation this year to achieve net zero by 2050. Um, They've announced a more ambitious Paris Agreement target of a 40 to 45 percent reduction, Um, haven't announced the plan to get there yet, um, and have committed to phasing out the sale of um, gas-powered vehicles by 2035 again um, haven't announced the details. And I think we'll also be reminded of a lot of the um, spending announcements they made during the, the pandemic on things like transit, um, investments in EV man- manufacture, that sort of thing. Okay. Angela, your research specifically looks at oil and gas and climate change. And the Liberals have certainly talked about transition, winding that industry down. 
have their actions matched up to their words in your view? No, and this is my concern and something I'll be watching closely going into the election is which party can really take the actions that are needed given the climate crisis and given what we know. So that recent IPCC report has underlined for us in no uncertain terms that we have that fossil fuel extraction and consumption, the burning of oil and gas and coal, that along with deforestation is driving along the climate crisis. In fact, we had the Secretary General, UN Secretary General, saying that um, this is putting billions of people at risk, so fossil fuels and deforestation. And uh, he went so far as to say that the IPCC report has to sound a death knell for coal and fossil fuels before they destroy our planet. So this is these are very clear terms here that, um, and if you look then into the, the main body of that you know 1,400-page report, you'll see more details that lay out just how fossil fuel extraction and combustion are the main drivers to the climate crisis. So knowing that, um, what I'm waiting for from the Liberal Party or, you know, any party that might come to power in, in, in the outcome of this election is to focus climate policy attention on winding down the fossil fuel sector and taking the enormous subsidies, and you've talked about this on previous shows, but the enormous subsidies that go towards that sector currently from the federal government, directing them towards a transition, making sure we're supporting workers and communities that would be most impacted by that change. I mean, as Dr. Harrison has outlined, some of the truly important work um, that the Trudeau government has done over the last years, and, and all of that is important and we need more of it, though at the same time we've got to pair those measures with talking about fossil fuel supply. Well, and on that point, just to, 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 let's talk about the, the federal government's response to the IPCC report. It, it laid out its its record on legislation, but it also said that when it came to this idea of a death knell for oil and gas, and questions about whether it would cancel Keystone, the, the um, sorry, the Coastal Mountain, I'm getting the name right. <laughs> Um, the, thank you. Trans Mountain, oh, gosh, yeah. sorry, lack of sleep. The Trans Mountain pipeline out to Vancouver. Um, the the minister Jonathan Wilkinson said that no, we need to do that in order to pay for the transition. Angela, what did that say to you? Yeah, so that's a contradiction in terms, and uh, you know we we can't imagine that we can somehow transition on the back of entrenching this one industry, which is the line it's causing the line share of the emissions in the first place. Um, I was reading recently a comment by James Rowe, so he's just released a report with some colleagues out of the corporate mapping project on uh, the Canada Pension Plan and how much you know we our money is um, invested in fossil fuels. And basically his analogy was that it's like being on an anti-cancer diet while increasing the number of cigarettes that you're smoking. Like one is, one is counteracting or canceling out the other. And so we end up moving and moving or running, running in place. And this is something that we see even when we look at, you know, very clearly in the trajectory of emissions in this country while we're making gains, for example, in electri- electrification of transportation. So emissions coming down in, in certain uh, transportation sectors. What we're seeing is a rise in emissions that are associated with uh, the oil and gas sector. So this is not the kind of transformational change that's being called for from the UN. Um, and the, the Liberal Party as yet, and I think yesterday in those comments it was made clear, hasn't quite gotten it yet. Catherine, what does that say then about how difficult this issue and, and just transition, transitioning workers out of oil and gas, is for the federal government to take on, especially given some of the pushback it's seen from the provinces? 
I think it's a it's a tough issue for all of the major parties, um, and the the oil and gas industry is the elephant in the room. It is the sector that accounts for the greatest share of Canada's emissions. It is the sector that it's accounted for most of the growth, as um, Professor Carter has indicated, and it's a sector that's relatively difficult, relatively costly um, to control. And so, even though we hear about just transition. If you look a little more closely, what's striking is that even the parties that talk about just transition don't mention explicitly which jobs and which sectors they expect to disappear over time. So it's it's kind of a euphemism that is put out there, but there is no explicit attention to what are we going to do about our oil and gas industry. And the other report that is relevant in addition to that IPCC one is the um, International Energy Agency's net zero report that came out just a couple months before. And what it explicitly said is if we want to get the world to net zero by 2050, we can't build any new fossil fuel infrastructure from now on. And so this argument that we need LNG, we need a new pipeline in order to fund our transition is is in contradiction with that as well. All right. Uh, let, let's move it over to the Conservatives then. Angela, earlier this year, Conservative delegates uh, at their convention voted not to add a line to their policy that would have stated that climate change is real and the party is willing to act on it. Given that, what at minimum do you expect to see from the party on climate change in the election? Well, I guess there's a, a huge gap between what I expect to see and what I hope to see. <laughs> um, I would hope to see um, you know, the real transformational change that we need. But what I expect, and, and I'm seeing this now even in talking points that are coming out in, in my region here in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, is a continuation of support for the fossil fuel sector. Um, the language that they're using is that the Conservative Party has the back of the fossil fuel sector, the oil and gas. And so uh, we can expect more subsidies that will be directed to that industry and a focus on, and I, I think this is really interesting and really important here too, a focus on bringing down emissions at the site, at the point of extraction. And the reason why I find that so fascinating is because that then turns our attention from what we're exporting in terms of emissions from fossil fuels. And so I see this playing out here in Newfoundland and Labrador very clearly. There's um, conversations happening. This is coming from conservative candidates that they would like to use uh, hydroelectricity to um, bring down emissions on the offshore, so electrifying the platforms. Now, uh, that means we can declare that we have some kind of net zero extraction process, but that is hiding the lion's share of the emissions, which are, of course, coming from when those fossil fuels are exported and burned elsewhere. Our climate doesn't care, you know, who burns that oil. I think the point, though, that needs to be, you know, heard a, a bit more clearly in Canada is taking responsibility for the oil that we're producing, um, not just the emissions associated with the extraction, but the, the long tail of them right down through uh, to consumption. Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer what's better. Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts.
Now, Catherine, we, you should note that Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole did warn that his party cannot afford to ignore climate change. So how can the party appeal to Conservative voters who do care about climate but not lose votes in the part of the country where, where this is still a matter of debate? Well, I, I think it's, it's accepted even by the Conservative Party that the weakness of their climate platform hurt them in 2019. So uh, Mr. O'Toole did announce uh, a new plan earlier this spring, which, um, you know, it, it's been modeled by, you know, ind- independent uh, consultants that it could achieve reductions of uh, 30% in emissions within Canada. Again, as um, Professor Carter indicated, that doesn't count the the downstream emissions. And, and Canada's exporting another Canada's worth of emissions in the oil and gas that gets burned elsewhere. So the Conservative plan includes um, a similar strategy as the Liberals for industrial polluters. They're prepared to increase the carbon price to $170 per tonne, but there's a caveat there that they would do so only if the EU and the U.S. get to the same price, which is, is not a given. Um, they they propose carbon savings accounts, which um, is something of a gimmick. It's a version of the Liberals' carbon tax at the pump. Um, which they would cap at $50 per ton. But instead of giving the money back, as the um, the current federal government does in provinces subject to the federal carbon price, in income tax rebates, what they would do is create a, a forced savings plan where that money would be held and families would be able to spend it on certain things. Um, and what they do instead of raising the carbon tax as high on um, gasoline, is substitute so-called smart regs, which indirectly achieve emissions reductions, potentially at greater cost to households, but with less visibility. And the big one there, I think, would be a renewable gas mandate that would require that homes be heated with um, a certain percent of renewable gas by 2030. That's likely to be pretty expensive, but it's not a cost that they'll be explicit about. Okay, Catherine, can I just stick with you for a minute? And we, we, we can touch on what the other major parties, the Green, the Bloc Québécois, and the NDP will be doing. What do you expect to see from them? So the NDP announced um, a big chunk of their platform this week. Um, so where the, in terms of targets, the Conservatives are sticking with a 30% reduction by 2030. The Liberals are promising 40%. The NDP is promising 50%. A lot of what is in the NDP plan matches the liberal strategy on carbon pricing. Um, the differences tend to be um, spending um, tighter tighter standards for new building codes by 2020, 2025, and more financial assistance for homeowners. I expect we'll hear some of that from other parties during the campaign um, on transportation, up to $15,000 in incentives if people buy a made-in-Canada electric vehicle. Um, it's a bit unclear which date they expect to achieve net-zero electricity generation, whether it's 2030 or 2040. So it, it's kind of the liberal plan and then some. Um, the Greens, it's hard to say. The party's currently in disarray. The, the leader and the executive council are engaged in a, a legal battle that's created budgetary woes for the party. And as of last night, nothing's been updated on the Green Party's website. I expect the platform, when it comes out, will be kind of like the NDP on steroids. They'll, they'll promise minus 60 percent or more by 2030. The big question for all of these parties is, 
whether the measures that they're proposing can credibly get us to the targets that they're promising. And I really wish that in the same way that it's become standard for parties to cost out their platform, say where the money's going to come from and um, how much they'll spend, if they would all provide a carbon budget that went with their platforms, mm-hmm. how much do they expect in terms of emissions reductions from each of these measures and what's the shortfall and what's it going to cost? Um, because it, it's very easy to announce, you know, a billion dollars here, a billion, billion dollars there. It sounds great. But will it actually deliver the emissions reductions? Um, oftentimes, the things that are popular are not the ones that will help us get to our targets. And, and the block focused on Quebec, obviously. But, but, uh-huh. but what do you expect it to portray its role as going forward? Um, you know, I'm not as familiar with the details of the block platform. Um, certainly, climate is most prominent of any province in Quebec. Um, the uh, Quebec government recently said no to an LNG project. There's been strong opposition historically to new pipelines. So I think we will, you know, we will hear strong commitments from the bloc. Um, <laughs> Angela, after the election wraps, the climate focus is going to shift to COP26 in Glasgow. What do you think the election means for Canada and its role on the international stage? Well, it means what we can, whether we have credibility when we go to the Conference of the Parties in, in Glasgow. So, you know, if, if, we, if we can't even, as, as Dr. Harrison is pointing out, if, if we can't even assess the uh, emission reductions that are going to be coming along with the lofty policies um, that one party or another might propose, it's really difficult to come to the international stage um, and, and look with credibility. I, I think also, I mean, you know, again, the the fossil fuel focus, this is now a focus in those United Nations um, negotiations. This is, it was a long time coming. The United Nations for a long time turned a, a blind eye to fossil fuel supply and fossil fuel production. But now we're seeing from the very highest levels, from the very uh, Secretary General of the UN, that this is now going to be um, a, a focal point. And so I, I think we are going to see nations held to account for the industries, the fossil fuel industries that they are fostering at home. Um, something that I'm paying attention to is the uh, Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty. So this is a, an organization that has started now calling for a wind down and a just transition away from fossil fuels. And uh, that is an initiative now that, that we've seen signatories by, well, 100 Nobel Prize winners, uh, cities across the world, and scientists and researchers and so forth. But the point of this initiative is to try to bring to the Conference of the Parties that focus on fossil fuels and finally get agreements to, um, to acknowledge um, fossil fuels, because that's something, for example, the Paris Agreement is silent on oil and gas and coal. And, uh, and so if this happens, and it sounds like it is going to become a part of those international negotiations, Canada's going to be looking really badly um, unless we can start you know, connecting those dots and coming forward with a wind-down plan. And Catherine, last word to you on that point. Um, I I agree with everything that Angela's said. A couple other thoughts on COP26 in Glasgow. One of them is that Canada has already submitted our new national target, and that's one of the big focuses of um, COP in Glasgow is upping the ambition from what was announced in 2015. Um, And, you know, the Paris Agreement works by ratcheting up 
targets every few years. This is the first time that countries are expected to do that. Canada has submitted a new and more ambitious target, but the Conservatives um, have not to date said that they support that target. So it would be very interesting if there's a Conservative government going to, um, to Glasgow, whether they will withdraw Canada's target and submit a new one, which would be a particularly embarrassing thing for Canada, I think. Um, the other thing is that the Paris Agreement rulebook has never been finalized, um, and that what remains is so-called Article 6, the emissions trading rules. Those are particularly important for Canada because among um, the countries in the world, we would likely be a purchaser of international credits. Um, at the last COP, um, Canada did maintain a demand for high credibility um, credits rather than weakening those, but, but that's been very contentious in international negotiations with countries like Brazil and China and Australia trying to um, weaken those provisions. Well, I thank both of you very much for your time and your insights. Thanks for having us. Great to speak with you. You're very welcome. We will see how the election unfolds. Angela Carter is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo. Catherine Harrison is a professor of political science at UBC, specializing in environmental and energy policy. Now over to you. How are you feeling the impact of climate change in your region? And what action do you want to see from the federal government? Email us, earth at cbc.ca, or you can tweet us at CBC What on Earth, or me at Laura Lynch, CBC. Thanks this week to associate producer Rachel Sanders, producer Molly Siegel, Matthias Wolfson is our engineer, and a special thanks to Gary Francis in Toronto. Our senior producer is Manasha Janakaram. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.